Hey everybody, thank you for downloading the fifth episode of Retrograding. We're going to get you started very soon. Got to get a few plugs in first. First of all, our show is very new. We're trying to get the word out there. So if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes, join our Facebook uh, page, club, one of those. Join that. Uh, And then if you could pass it along to a friend, we would greatly appreciate it. It's going to help our show grow and get the word out there for us. Secondly, as always, our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud to contact her or hear more. All right, that is going to do it. We'll get you into the show. This one's a long one. So strap in. It's going to be a hell of a ride. This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Welcome to Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we're taking a look back to the man of the house to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, quick note up at the beginning here, this is the 1995 version of Man of the House, starring Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and not the 2005 film of the same name, starring Tommy Lee Jones and a bunch of cheerleaders. So, Mark, you brought this movie together... Why don't you remind people what it is about? Give us some cliff notes on it. Before I get started, I just wanted to say, Hey, Hawaii, Carl. Hey, Hawaii, Sarah. I have so many notes on that. (laughs) Hey, how are you? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, and how are you? Oh, that's close. But (laughs) Okay, so the movie starts off, you meet the young boy who's the star of the show. His name is Ben. He's telling the tale of... How his family came to be, um, how his father left him with a secretary when he was younger, and you see a clip of the father leaving in his car with his hand waving out the window. It moves on from there to the next scene. It's a few years later. He's still living with his mother, but they have made a new life for themselves in an apartment. The mother is dating again, has had a few boyfriends, but they come and go, and it always ends up back with just the mother and the son, which is just the way that he likes it. Soon we get introduced to Jack... Uh, in court while he is uh, getting a criminal uh, sent to prison for 50 years. The criminal's son in court threatens revenge, and Jack, of course, is not threatened at all and makes a joke about it. So (laughs) we move on from there to the art gallery. We learn that Jack is going to be moving in with Sandy and Ben. While they are moving in, Ben's mother asks him to pick up some of the stuff (laughs) that they have been collecting on the beach. He is not very happy about that, as that is one of his favorite pastimes with his mother. It's how they bond together, and they've been creating art on the wall of their apartment with it. So this is the first instance where Ben and Jack have a fight. As they're getting ready for bed that night, Jack goes to Sandy's bedroom, and Ben makes a big deal out of this. Uh, fakes being upset about it just to try to get rid of Jack and keep him away from his mother. And the next morning, Jack is making breakfast for Ben, but Ben is not used to the big meal, and another argument ensues. Uh, At school, Ben is now complaining to his friend Monroe about Jack, 
While they are talking, they meet Norman, who tells them all about the Indian guides, and Ben decides that this is a perfect plan to humiliate Jack and try to get rid of him. Uh, Jack and Ben then join the Indian guides and go to their first meeting. They meet the other tribe members and come up with tribal names for each other. Eventually, they have a camp out in someone's backyard with the Indian guides. Ben talks Jack into wearing a full Indian costume. He says all the other fathers will be doing it. When they arrive, no one is dressed in Indian costumes except for Jack. Um, also at this camp out, Ben applies a tribal war paint to Jack's face, and turns out that Jack is actually allergic to the paint that gets used and has a rash in the form of this war paint. He goes to court the next day, and we find out that he's actually going up against a tribe of Native Americans <laughs> who do not appreciate the war paint on his face. He tries to explain that it's just a rash, however, he does get taken off the case. Uh, after this, he uh, Jack goes and has to come up with a big decision. He has to decide if his job or his stepson is more important. He decides to rearrange his life because he decides his son, his stepson will be more important to him than his job. He goes to apologize to Ben, but he hears uh, overhears a phone call where Ben is talking to Monroe and says he thinks he has finally worked on Jack enough to get rid of him. Jack goes to talk to one of the other Indian guide fathers uh, uh, to try to talk, figure out how to make Ben like him. The other Indian guide's father is Chet, who we find has also married into a family where he has adopted a son, and that son also did not like him at first. He just tells Jack to keep working at it, and eventually he will find a way to get Ben to like him. In order to help with this, Jack brings in a Native American, and this is the point where you get the... 90s montage. They learn all about survival and archery and a rain dance. And during this time, Ben actually begins to enjoy the Indian guides and has fun going to the meetings. Eventually, Jack invites Norman, one of the other Indian guides boys, over for a sleepover with Ben. Ben was not excited about this, but once they get there, uh, he finds out that Norman is actually pretty cool and they bond together over video games. Again, Jack's criminal enemies catch up with him and cut his brake lines. He ends up in the bay and misses the Indian guide's canoe trip that Ben was very excited about. This is just when they're making progress on on liking each other, and now Ben goes back to hating Jack again. He saw this as another version of his dad abandoning him, just like he had back when he was a young boy. And now uh, Jack promises that he is not going to let anything get in the way of the Indian guide camping trip. His boss tells him he should get out of town, he's going to give him a new assignment, and rather than take the new assignment to save himself, he quits his job and goes on an Indian guide's camping trip with all the boys. During the camping trip, Jack tells a campfire story with many similarities to his situation with Ben. Unfortunately, Ben does not like the story and storms off and sleeps by himself. The next morning, Ben is sent to fill the canteens and overhears the criminals talking about killing Jack. He runs back to warn the others. To save the Indian guide, Jack tells them all to run to the ranger station. He will lead the criminals higher into the hills. Ben follows him, and together they set a trap for the bad guys. The bad guys, two of the guys, get caught in the trap. The third catches them off guard and try to seal them in a mine by blowing up the entrance. Just at the nick of time, the Indian guides return and save the day. After the camping trip, Jack and Ben are now friends. They're on the beach collecting more junk for their artwork at home. When they get home and start putting it on the wall, Ben notices that it makes a pattern. He calls Jack and his mother in, and to end off the movie, they say, What do you know? It's done. And the artwork has made a perfect circle. All right.
Well, you left off the part at the very end with the wedding. That they do get married. Ah. Yes. Nobody cares yeah. about weddings. Totally and fine. That is the show in a not the, the show. show, the movie yep. in a We're done. Show. Time to go home. <laughs> yep. That's the show. Podcast yeah. over. We've just recounted this plot of Man of the House. So you brought up something that I, I have to correct you on. Because a lot of your points there I do have notes on. Uh specifically the breakfast. Jonathan Taylor Thomas doesn't eat it, not because it's a very large meal. It's because it is nothing similar to what he eats. Correct. Like, I think Jack made eggs and holiday sauce and some ham and, uh, I want to say toast as well. It looked delicious. I, I did write down a note yes. that Ben's comment to to his mother was that Jack was trying to kill them with animal fats. And that's when he left the house. And if you watch what he eats at school, it's a salad. Makes me think that this entire household is vegetarian, and the mom just didn't bother to tell Jack at all. Which I... I have notes on the mom, because Farrah Fawcett plays this mother. She is gorgeous, but she is wasted in this entire film. The mother is given practically nothing to do, because at any point of conflict, uh, she just falls apart or throws it on one of the boys, claiming it's their fault, puts all the responsibility on them. But in the context of this movie, eliminating it from Farrah Fawcett, I think the mother is kind of the villain of this film. Because she does bring together two very strong personalities without preparing them for this change in their life at all. It's true. Had, had he never met him before they got engaged? Like, you think somewhere between starting to date and getting engaged, that's when you introduce the boyfriend to your kid. Not, you would hey, think guess so. what? I'm getting married. Meet this guy. So in the voiceover in the beginning, Jonathan Taylor Thomas says that he learned of the wedding two weeks ago. So as presumably he's met Jack before, but it's still pretty early, like two weeks to prepare for a complete change to his and life. I'm not sure that he knew right. I, I mean, he knew they were getting married, but I think there was a conversation where the mother was warning him. Oh, by the way, Jack is moving in now, too. Yeah. And I, you would think he would have known yeah. that by the fact that they were getting married. Family but, talks. But yeah. We need more family talks. Mm-hmm. Ohana. No family doesn't get left behind or something. That's uh, <laughs> close. <laughs> but yeah, she changes two major things in Jonathan Taylor's Thomas life uh, in that all of his bathroom stuff is moved and the stuff that he prizes most highly, this project he's been working, working on with his mother for years, those materials are just getting moved even though they're sentimentally important to him. And the mom doesn't try to, like, coax him into it or, you know, try to explain to him why these things have to be moved. She just says, Benjamin, move them. You well, have to do it. he kind of comes home to it. It's not like... Here's things that oh, are going to happen. Right. He just, hey, there's stuff in the bathroom now. Oops, did I forget to tell you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you did no preparation whatsoever. Yeah. And I, like, you didn't even tell him that he doesn't like being called Benny. That seems like the most important thing. Chevy Chase the whole time just has no idea what's going on. He's just like, I'm just trying to be nice. What am I doing <laughs> well, wrong? That kind of seems to be just the Chevy Chase persona. Like, when you watch right. any of those vacation movies. Yeah. Yeah, he's not stretching himself at all in this yes. role. He's pretty it's much just, just being it's just, 90s Chevy Chase. Yes. Yeah, and I, I realized watching this that I don't really like Chevy Chase's character that he does in all these films. I think he tries to combine different 
roles in comedy in one person because he tries to be his own straight man while at the same time being that super wacky guy. He tries to be Abbott and Costello he's, at once, and it just doesn't work for me. In this one. The first thing I wrote down when I was watching this was during the court scene when you meet him, and I said it made me realize why he is never a serious actor because he tries to stand up to the criminal bad guys and he said something right. about how he's not threatened by them blah 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 and it just was not convincing to me at all yeah he is he is such a, a straight guy. man delivery you think he's joking when he stands up to this guy but also in that courtroom scene uh two things uh number one is the bad guy's lawyer is just enough like John Goodman to make me think it was John Goodman. It's totally not. But if you decide to watch this film, keep an eye out for it. Uh, the second part of it, uh, that very first part of this movie with the monologue by Jonathan Taylor Thomas just reminded me how luxurious his voice is. Like, I just want to listen to him narrate things all day, See, every day. You apparently are more mm. in love with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> I am less yeah. in love with Jonathan Taylor Thomas than I was. I kind of was like, huh, this was the guy I was so in love with in elementary <laughs> school. I don't get it anymore. Carl is the, the prepubescent girl of our group. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't like him as a persona. I just like his voice. He has a very good, listenable voice. At the time... I, yes, exactly. I, do I don't know about the, his grown-up But that's, that's why he got chosen for The Lion King, is because his voice work is very yeah. good, and he, he fit the character. I do have another comment about that monologue at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, he talks about how, oh, she dated all these guys after my father, and they were all jerks. Their example of that is the guy doesn't know how to fly a kite. <laughs> yes, I have the exact same note. Call's first guy, we see a jerk. His only sins are he can't fly a kite and he makes questionable sweater choices. Yes. You know what? I actually, one of the things I found was that the guy who flew the kite was actually one of Farrah Fawcett's ex-husbands or ex-boyfriends oh, yeah, or something. It's, it's Ryan O'Neill, isn't it? No way. I think I think that's who it is. It's, it's Ryan O'Neill, who's known for a bunch of stuff, and is Tatum O'Neill's father. So, the second note I had in the courtroom scene is it immediately follows that wonderful monologue that I could, I could just luxuriate in all day uh, by the, um, the mafia boss's voice, which is a stark contrast. It sounds like he is slowly choking on his own throat. Although we, we <laughs> talked about we couldn't remember in the last episode. We knew there was mob involved, and we knew somehow they were going after Chevy Chase, but we're like, business stuff? He was some sort of whistleblower. No, lawyer makes way more sense. <laughs> I think we were trying to overcomplicate it. Lawyer sorts out all those issues yeah. we were having. Yeah, so clearly this criminal organization is against him for a reason. Yeah. Uh, but they have this, such a roundabout way of going about it, though. Because the, the whole idea is they want to kill him... Without implicating themselves. Yeah, without relaying that it would be this. So instead of waiting for the next court case where he pisses somebody off, which I have to imagine is like the district attorney DA happens on a weekly basis. Well, he made the Native American tribe angry, but that would not go over well in a plot point. Oh, you mean by the psychopathic tendencies of his adopted son? Like, because Jonathan Taylor Thomas... Uh, is doing something that Jonathan Taylor Thomas does well, but also makes for a questionable character, where he's pretending to be a lot older than he actually is. 
Like, he is an 11-year-old oh. talking as if he is a 20-year-old. Yeah. This, I put down something about the sex talk was really weird. Oh, yeah. This is so not a kid's movie. Well, keep saying all of these, like, real adult things, and they'll be like, oh, I saw it on the Mari show yeah, or something yeah. like that, or... or I, I read it on Letterman or something. Yeah, it was always like, blah, 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 straight textbook stuff. I watch TV because I'm a latchkey kid, I guess. I, it's just, <laughs> it's so weird, and I'm like... Well, there was that, and then there's a whole yeah. thing at the end about about how he corrects the mafia about how they should torture them. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what kind of TV shows do your parent, does your mom let you watch? As <laughs> a character, you have to question, like, this is a child... Talking as if an adult, he kind of has psychopathic tendencies. Like, he's not a child. He is seeing everything through, like, adults' eyes and clear and calculating. I thought his relationship with his mom was kind of weird. And this comes from, like, yeah. the era of 90s where that kind of idea of either the father died or the father left and that main character has to struggle with being, like, the man of the house. That was a real big, mm-hmm. like main plot of so many things in the 90s but it was always like a coming of age story yeah. this is weird because he's very overprotective of her in a very very uncomfortable way yes yeah. <laughs> it, it's also a unique story in that the uh the birth father is completely unredeemable he just leaves and then he is never addressed again yeah where I feel like in a lot of those 90 films the dad comes back and that is when the child becomes of age yeah. and like you know, crosses a bridge or, or whatnot. Or the dad is dead and, and he's learning that it's okay to be a kid. He doesn't have to take that responsibility on, that sort of thing. Right. Not just, I'm going to be a creepy wingman for my mom. <laughs> you don't <laughs> yeah. need my approval. Get out of here. Well, <laughs> he's not really wingman. Well, yeah. He's kind the of opposite. He's, he's <laughs> Yes. <laughs> he's, it's real weird. He's acting like the parent. Yes, well, and, it's and very I don't. Uncomfortable. I don't get the feeling that any of the previous boyfriends that that he purposely tried to get rid of them. It was just that they were all idiots or something. But then suddenly this right. guy he is trying to get rid of. He just waited them out, and eventually the relationship failed, like some relationships do. I just uh... yeah. It made me question who this film is for. Yeah, because it is not for children. No, because he specifically asked his mom straight out. Are you getting married just for the sex? Yes. Which is an uncomfortable conversation to have with kids in the room. And I remember seeing this as a kid. I didn't actually remember that conversation happening. Yeah, but <laughs> I saw it as a kid as well, and I liked certain things of it. I liked his antics. Yes. I liked him. Like, the physical comedy worked for me as a child. But, like, I think it is such a specific subset of a genre where it is specifically for stepfathers and stepsons who are trying to become closer and understand each other. It's like a very strange issues movie, but also a comedy, and it doesn't... It's weird. Right. It's a storyline that belongs in a very special episode of a sitcom. (laughs) Real bad one. I wish we learned more about Monroe's background, because he seems... His parents must be divorced or something because he seems to have a lot of insight on this. Although I do want to know why everyone in this town only has one bathroom in their house. Because <laughs> uh, Monroe talks about it like, yeah, that's just what happens. The boyfriend moves into your bathroom. And I'm like, I have my own bathroom. Thank you very much. Yeah, this layout has no master bath. It is one bath shared with everybody. Well, it was an apartment. Yes, yeah, but, but I, it's I've... a huge apartment that apartment that's also true i could have fit all of my dorm rooms in that thing yeah, well yeah <laughs> granted it's a movie apartment 
but also, granted, the mom is an artist and probably doesn't make that much. I mean, she had a gallery at the beginning, but you have to... Her art is really kitschy. Like, you can tell that the set designers didn't really put much thought into it. it. Just, like, combine these things with these things, paint that birdhouse blue, we've got art. Well, I mean, they only reference <laughs> it about once. And she yeah. doesn't do half the work on the thing at the end. It's like, my child will do my art for me. And then she has a blowtorch at one point. I didn't yes, know what that yes, was. Yes, that is the scene. So they are, this is when Chevy Chase is reviewing the booklet of the Indian guides, which we only see once. Um, in the background, the mom is making a sculpture. I'm pretty sure it's a wheel that can spin. And at uh, every third of the wheel, there is a um, a shovel head welded on. And then she is using a blowtorch to create holes in the shovel heads because art. I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. But then I think the 90s when you had all the Jackson Pollock imitations where people were just throwing paint at things... So I think this is very much in that wheelhouse of the time. Well, also I bathroom, just don't understand modern art in general. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Neither do I. But I don't think the prop... I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or if the prop people just didn't do a great job. But the stuff that they had Chevy Chase's character have in the bathroom, it was all repeats. It was like four things of Benadryl. <laughs> I did not pay that much attention to it. Yeah, I didn't either. You finish one bottle and then you get another bottle. <laughs> no, he uses multiple bottles at it's once. It's so weird because he's supposed to be this this lawyer that works for for the government. He's supposed to be like, in that aspect, it, they try to portray him as being very intelligent. He's in charge of all of these very high profile cases. And then he is such an idiot everywhere They else. did point out several times, though, about his allergies, so... So maybe yeah. he just needs a large dose of Benadryl <laughs> just in just, case. Just get a bigger bottle. The only thing we see of that is his him being allergic to the paint, which is another psychopathic tendency of JTT, because he specifically uses paint that Chevy warns him that he'll get an allergic reaction to, uh, and then completely paints his face, including a smiley face on his forehead. Yeah, kids, don't don't set off people's allergies. No, I don't. Idea. The smiley face kind of became their logo because it was also on his teepee when oh. they when they built the teepee on the roof. There was a big smiley face on it, and I I don't know if that was like their tribe's insignia or something, or if they just kind of kept with that because that's what he drew. Maybe. Okay, so Chevy Chase could build the teepee on the roof. No, Chet but, did uh, that. No, no. Who, he had somebody come over to do uh, it for him. Yeah, right, he said he... Chet was coming over to build it later that day. Which, as long as Got we're talking it. about him, Chet mm -hmm. played by George Went. Norm from Cheers. Who was Norm from Cheers, which, if you notice, his son in this movie is named Norm. And I think that that may have been I on purpose. I don't know for sure, but it could have been Yeah, purposeful. I think so. This is, this is two years after Cheers. Yes. So I think it's very much in the cultural zeitgeist at the time. I think they were definitely trying to reference that. Also in the, in this time is one of uh, Jonathan Taylor t-shirts. Um, what? <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas's t-shirts or Jonathan Taylor's t-shirts? What have you? Why did he start um, that brand yet? I would buy something. <laughs> yeah. JTT, if you're listening, we have branding opportunities for you. Uh, but when he comes down for breakfast, he's wearing a Looney Tunes t-shirt, and it's the very 90s Looney Tunes where they were trying to be rappers. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I had a shirt I, yeah. with, like, Tweety and, like, saggy shorts or something. 
I also yes. had a note. Um, again, something I, found, I think I, IMDb had a article uh, about it, but it was uh, at the beginning. He is sitting down reading a book oh, yeah, about the Lion, the Lion King. King. Yeah, I saw that. That is during the montage. It is. It's before he starts having fun. And that yes. was. It's good because he also did a voice in that movie yes, yes he did yeah though with the uh, the looney tunes he wears the shirt and then he immediately goes to school where they cut to lunch but in the the cafeteria for whatever reason they have a giant poster of michael jordan so i wonder if this was semi an advertisement for space jam well it couldn't have been because this was disney right it was, it was, but it was a Looney Tunes character featured prominently in their film. But well, yeah, but Jordan Space was Jam just was, a big yeah, personality in the nineties anyway. Warner Brothers, right? Well, it had to it, be a Warner yes. Brothers because yeah. Looney Tunes. But then they did have Looney Tunes on the shirt, so everyone Who had knows? Looney Tunes on their shirt in the nineties. I owned like five. Yeah, maybe maybe it was a time. I just like to believe this was an advertisement for another movie <laughs> that I was uh, fond of as a child. I I will say. There were a lot of conversations I did find really funny. The gun argument, where they're arguing over what kind... The, the mobsters in the car, when they're having like, oh, a stake yes. they're arguing over what sort of gun they use. <laughs> that I found funny. Oh, the uh, the character that I found funny is the uh, the actual Native American that they bring oh, in. Oh, yeah, I said I thought the- every yes. single one of his lines was, was a stitch oh, and just delivered was, perfectly. He was messing with them so hard. <laughs> Oh, I put him down as my my favorite character because I just thought oh the him by being far like, I just thought the I'm messing with you. It brings me to something we've been floating around. Uh, the entire Indian guides part of this movie, which is the majority of this movie, I found untenable. Like it is a certain amount of racism and cultural appropriation that in modern society is not accepted. Like, because all the things that they use for the Indians, the, the, the headdress, the clothing, uh, the tribal paint, that had meaning in that culture, and they're just appropriating it because they think it's cool, and they're putting it, they're giving it to children because they don't give it much value. I don't think it was, well, I, but I mean, that sort of thing I've, happened. Yeah, there were, I like, don't know about there that. There were, like, um, Indian scouts was a they, thing. I think there still are, But it though. was less... I think they still think do was, that sometimes. I don't think they slept in TVs. I think they got real tense. It was just kind of a a, a boy scout. It, it's definitely something that happens. Uh, but I think it was a time in Hollywood's history where they became slightly aware of it. Because a lot of the characters pointed out in the film, it's just that we weren't to a point where we were just giving it its proper due. We were just having characters acknowledge, hey, we know this is kind of racist, but we're still going to do it anyway because we think it's funny. It was a huge problem in the film for me, uh, to the extent that on their wedding cake, they that have little Indian I, statues. I thought that was weird just because the mother was not a part of it at all. It was a father-son yeah. thing, but somehow it became part of their wedding cake, and I thought that was weird. I mean, it's a, well, and like he said, you know, the majority of the movie was involved the Indian mm-hmm. guide's theme because that kind of... I mean, being part of that group is what brought Ben and Jack together, right. I guess. But, I, yeah, I don't see how what that has to do with the wedding itself. 
because <laughs> the mother had nothing my, to my do with it. My Native American uncle did not teach me anything. He just bought me puzzles, so I don't know if this is true to life or not. I cannot help you. Now, I like that when they brought in the actual Native American, which is when they had the montage, you know, him teaching them how to throw a tomahawk or shoot a bow and arrow or how to do a rain dance, that was actually pretty cool. You know, you're seeing this from an actual person of that culture sharing and teaching the lessons from that culture like that seems appropriate to me but having white man teach indian culture to children just seemed a level of disconnection it's not really, that i'm not okay with they're not really with. teaching indian culture it's just like a theme thing yeah i don't know yeah i don't agree with I don't know, though. entire I think... culture being degraded to a theme though but Every culture has that, like... I was in Boy Scouts as a kid, and I didn't really appreciate it then, but stuff like, I guess to me right now, doing this kind of outdoorsy thing, I would appreciate this more now, I guess, than as a kid, but it would, it was, to me, it's kind of a fun life oh, yeah. skill to I learn I have absolutely no things. problem with the Boy Scouts. Had this thing not been Indian-themed, I'd be totally okay with it. It just, having it... And a culture that you don't truly understand. But not then so again, great. the Italians in this movie are all stereotyped as mobsters. Yes. In a lot <laughs> of yes, movies. there are varying yes. levels of racism. Uh, to the point that Jonathan Taylor Thomas pretends to know Kung Fu at one point. I mean, he might know Kung Fu. <laughs> we don't know. A lot of people took martial arts in the yeah, 90s. he sure didn't. <laughs> Doesn't mean they were good at it, just meant they took it. I don't know. It didn't bother me as much. It was a very 90s thing. And I mean... Uh, yeah. I mean, I come from a family background from that area with Native American blood in it, and okay. I don't feel like they were as touchy. I can see... <laughs> Maybe it was just my family. When Jack went into his campfire yeah. story, I could see... I mean, because he purposely did But he does an say it has nothing to do with this. It's just thing, a stereotype but... of movies. I, I understand, right. He actually it's, said it's still that, racist, but... even if it's for humor. Like, acknowledging that this voice is racist and then doing this voice doesn't excuse it for me. Like, I, I could say, I know blackface isn't okay, but I'm going to do blackface real quick. It'll be fine. But yet, Tropic Thunder, everyone loves. That is a good movie. That's a good point. Yeah. And White Chicks, no one likes, even though that has... We're not even going to talk oh. about that one. <laughs> that is reverse blackface. That is for a different podcast that does terrible <laughs> Wayne's Brothers movies. That was the Wayne's Brothers, right? Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It was Wayne's Brothers. I never saw it. It never looked good. Uh, oh, yeah. Another line I had here, which proved to me that this was definitely not a kid's movie, uh, is when Jack goes to see George Went for advice on how to deal with his son. He says, we're part of the same tribe. Jack asks, well, you mean the Indian scouts? He's like, no, the emotionally constipated men over 40. That has no meaning to a child. No, it meant something to me now, but I also am not married or, or have children, so it really 40. doesn't mean much to me still yet. Hey, I'm close <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, another problem I have with the, the writing of this film is they kept making the subtext the text, which is a cardinal sin in screenwriting. Like, you give characters dialogue so that it reflects their characters' choices at the time, and you give them character development without them directly stating the things that they are learning. Uh, Jack had a line here 
that was kind of the theme and what we're supposed to get from it, but you're not supposed to say it out loud and just heavy hand it. He says, I can stand up to the toughest hoods in the country, but an 11-year-old kid, that's really scary. That is a trailer line. That is yes. a trailer line if I've exactly. ever heard it. It is, it is the theme of the movie, and it's something that characters aren't supposed to say. You're just supposed to pull it from understanding the story of the film. Or it should just, it should be in the trailer and they should cut it out of the real movie. It should be one of those lines that is in a trailer and then disappears forever. Oh, he has another one. It's after the death attempt. Death attempt? Uh, yes. <laughs> murder that attempt? One. Attempted murder. Right. Uh, he says, I guess I have to pay for all the mistakes his father made. It felt a lot like they already had the voiceover. But then in conversations, because JTT did this too, it felt like their conversations were also voiceover. Just yeah, it was just so loud. very stilted and not real dialogue they were that these characters would have. monologues to other people. Well, and I noticed this was during the time that JTT was doing home improvement mm -hmm. shows. So one of the things that I read also, this was during summer break or whatever from his filming of another show. So I don't know if maybe they just kind of cut the script down... Because they didn't have time to work mm, on it maybe. longer. I mean, just to Whether simplify they rush things. production so that they could have this kid in the film. Oh, that scene where he says that is one of the other faults of the film. Where the guy just survived having his brakes cut. He goes into the ocean and barely survives. He comes home and tells nobody about it. At least tell your fiance. Yeah. I mean, maybe right. be like, don't scare the kid. He's like 12. But tell your fiancé. But, like, he's joining this family. He nearly died, and he's doing nothing about it. Later on, he said he didn't want to scare them. them in more danger, because he's hanging out with them still. Hey, they might try to shoot me while I'm hanging out with you guys. Maybe you should know. Or had this been, like, real life, where he would be forced into witness protection, yeah. would he even tell him tell them that they're leaving, or would he just disappear like the original father? I'm not like your father. The government told me to. <laughs> uh, that entire scene where he refuses to go into witness protection... Uh, made me so mad at the movie. It's like, I don't care if I'm safe. I have to be a part of this family. I don't care there's murderers out to get me. It's like, no, like, you, you, cannot, you survive. You stay with your family you for longer. You cannot fix your father-son relationship with your stepson if you are dead. <laughs> the thing is, with this whole thing about him almost dying in the thing, this movie has a lot of, it has that weird children's movie violence where there's a lot of violence, like... Yeah. People get almost murdered. They get bees dropped on the head. I feel like 80s and 90s movies that were children's movies had a lot more of that stuff than they would get away with now. But it's weird. weird. They have all this violence, but nobody can be seen getting shot with an arrow because they shoot the yeah. clothes around them and stick them to the wall. Oh, God. Yeah, that scene. So it's like <laughs> it's, it's a ton of violence, but bloodless violence. I want to talk more about the canoe trip, which is where every adult in the tribe makes a terrible decision to leave a child on his own. Yeah, why? Where were they meeting that he was? They were just there. It, yeah, it was by the side of the road by a lake where I assume all of them could park and leave their cars. But then they got back in the car and left. Yeah, they did. And they left a child behind because he opted not to go. It is just, it's mind-blowing the level of irresponsibility in these My parents. My thought process is maybe they came to pick him up near his house and that was just like across the street because they're... 
They're on the coast, right? They have sure. a lot of water. Yeah, they do a lot of walking on the coast. It, but this is a lot of us filling in the gaps of the movie. The movie doesn't explain this. I'm trying to make it less terrible. Come on, I'm trying to. <laughs> it's just awful. Because this is a film of terrible uh, guardian choices. Because when they are in the woods, they learn of the murder that is, or the attempted murder that is about to happen, uh, where the the mafia guys are planning a killing Jack in the woods. He has a smart plan and a safe plan of him running one way and everybody else running the other way to the ranger station. No one has a map. Yeah, <laughs> but everybody else is like, no, let us. Stay here and help you fight these guys with our children. So apparently they're not watching Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who runs back and teams up with Jack for a while. And at the very end, all of them get back together. And it's four men with four boys confronting mafia men with guns. To be fair, two of those mafia men were real dumb. Well, <laughs> yes. yes, but they didn't but know real good that. at fishing. Yes, uh, one of the uh, Fatso Magoo is a real sassy in this movie, uh, catching fish after fish. He's like catching them with his hands, and it's kind of adorable. Like you don't want to take the side of the mobsters that are trying to murder people, but he's like, "Hey guys, I caught this fish. Can we come back and come fishing?" And like, oh, I'm really good at this. Turns out, who knew? We need like a mobster rehabilitation movie about him. Where he's just like, instead of murdering people, catch some fish. You could probably put the Fratellis from the Goonies in there, too. <laughs> Teach a man to fish and he'll stop murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> he'll just murder the fish instead. This movie also had the really weird TV movie stereotype of a kid getting stuffed in his locker every day and no adults ever finding out. Yes. And at one point, two kids are stuck in a locker. And I don't know, like, maybe I, I just don't remember that ever kids. happening to anybody at my school. I my saw it on TV a lot. My lockers were not big enough for a person. Yeah, that's part of it. I also think this is, like, something they came up with in Hollywood. It's just, like, cow tipping. propagating. It's not a real yeah. thing. People just don't do this, but it's something that lives in the hearts and minds of people who watch if television. I, if they did, if he's being stuck in there till someone lets him out, at least one of the times it's got to be a teacher, right? That yeah, would be, like, think so we maybe he sleeps there better. and that's what he does in between going to school oh he's so sad and pathetic it could just be you know it's like the back to the future where all the teachers just look at him and say what a slacker and then they just <laughs> let him out and don't care it's it's a weird 80s 90s stereotype that i do not understand speaking of lockers uh, another thing that i caught Watching it multiple times, which I did not enjoy. Um, when both kids are stuck in a locker, there's kids' artwork above uh, the lockers. And the idea of it is that each student drew their representation of the Mona Lisa. One is clearly Jesus, and the one next to it is pretty much Hitler. How, how do you mess up the Mona Lisa so bad that it becomes Jesus? Hey, Jesus had long hair, I guess. How do you go from... Um, European woman with no eyebrows to, like, Middle Eastern man. Although, I suppose that... Jesus would have a beard, so... Yes, yes. <laughs> that would be a difference. Yeah, and the, the Hitler one had a Hitler mustache. <laughs> How'd you have to mess the Mona Lisa? Even, and I am the worst artist ever, I think I could figure that one out. <laughs> Does the Mona Lisa have facial hair? No. <laughs> Wait, but are we sure? Are we no sure about hair. European women at this time? Doesn't even have eyebrows anymore. Oh, uh, another question I have for you guys. In the montage, 
how long is this going on? Because it's a classic montage thing where, you know, you're seeing things multiple times. You're assuming that's all happening at once. But throughout them learning the rain dads, they change clothes multiple times. And the mother also makes them, like, sweatshirts or jackets or something. So how long does it take to learn a rain dance? As long as it... And, and aren't they in, like, Seattle or something? Yes. yes. It should rain every other day, right? Yes. There was, <laughs> there was a joke of that in the movie. Um, so it shouldn't take... But I'm just saying that that should mean that our time period is pretty short if... It can't be taking low right. months and months if it's they stop once the rain dance happens. You would think so. I mean, granted, they are real bad at dancing at the start <laughs> of this montage. They are hilariously bad at dancing. I think it was just another scene where uh, the chief wanted to just mess with them. Because <laughs> he looks yeah. kind of surprised when it starts yes. to rain. I have a note on that, that the chief's... Uh, face when it starts to rain is priceless. He thought he was gaslighting this entire team, uh, but it worked. And then he's kind of like, you know what? I think I taught them togetherness, and and that's okay. That's a good and that's just as good a skill. And then at the end of the movie, he's the one that actually made a difference because because that's when uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas says. Uh, Indian chief told me to just stop and listen to nature, and it will give you the and answer then or something. Bees, bees yeah. are the answer. Also, he, bees? he shames Monroe into wearing the headband at the end because they're like, yeah. "Well, he's thinking about it. Here's his headband," and the chief is just like glaring at him until he, puts it <laughs> and then he's like, "Yeah, you okay now?" Gosh, <laughs> this movie—he's the sassiest oh. man in that movie. We do have to talk about my least favorite character, who I enjoyed as a child, but as an adult, was just unbearable. Uh, Silent Thunder. Oh, I the like Silent Thunder. The dad who doesn't Thunder. say anything. Yeah, what yeah, was wrong just with him? His slapstick is so annoying to me. Because it's not as polished as I would like it to be. I think like, he's a real clown. He's not the... Yeah. I, I think the problem is that the cuts in the film or how long they showed it... It didn't, for me, give it enough air to breathe. It was quick cuts. Here, check out this thing. Then, check out this thing. Also, no one ever responds to him. No one ever else ever finds him funny. And I think that's the problem is it's hard as the audience to find. I like I liked him, but it's hard. Like The mm-hmm. whole thing kind of falls flat when he's like, I'm funny, I'm funny. And everyone's just like, eh, can we I, leave now? I think it's because I remember him being funny as a child. Right. And it didn't live up to my expectations this go around. And I think that was the point was that the kids in the Indian guides liked it and all the adults were just like, ugh. <laughs> like like and yeah. I I think that was the whole point was that he did it to entertain the children, not necessarily Right. Now I did expect him to say something at the end, and that never came. I kind of liked him better than when I was a child. Mainly because I found out he was the original Cat in the Hat in Seussical the Musical, which okay. all of us have done. Yes. We've, we've been in that play. And so for me, it was like, hey, I know that guy now. And suddenly it was like, he was more interesting to me because I knew who he was. Okay. Oops. <laughs> Oops. No, I just, every, like, every communication he has with his child just seems to me like uh, bad parenting, basically. Like, you should talk to your kids. You should build that relationship and, like, explain things to him. Well, they never explain if he's really mute or if he's just, like, a mime. 
I think he's just a mime. No, because JTT at the very end during the wedding thing says, Silent Sender still doesn't speak. I don't know why. Yes, why? Maybe that's what it is. It's, it's never explained why he's not talking. He's just the character that doesn't talk. Yeah, but he literally just says, we still don't know why he doesn't talk. Like, has no one ever asked him, like, are you literally mute? Do you have problems with your voice? Maybe he maybe he doesn't know how to speak English. Maybe he only understands English. Yeah, I think part of it, too, is I find charades exhausting. And everything he was doing was charades. <laughs> But yet everyone can understand him by the end. That, that's another 90s trope is just the weird hand gesture character that everyone can just completely understand. It's like the Han Solo Chewy thing. Han Solo makes hand gestures? Well, but I mean, yes. like, Chewie just goes, I can't do Chewbacca <laughs> Then Chewie makes one and rips somebody's arm off. Yes. <laughs> but Han Solo's like, yeah, that roar just was a whole paragraph of information. I understood it. And everyone else is yeah. like, oh, okay. There's a lot of subtext in that. I yeah. actually, while you guys are talking here, found the clip again with them in their lockers with the Mona Lisa. Yeah. One of them is also green. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I think I see the Jesus one, but yeah, right. I'm, they are yep. definitely some strange Mona Lisa paintings. Yeah. Like the, the art direction of this film had fun with this scene, knowing that it would just be background. I have to look this up at some point because. We should move on to the the third act and start closing this out. Um, because Please? this movie. Yes, this movie has real third act problems. Everything leading up to the car chase, I think, is the beginning to a pretty good film. Actually, as soon as we I get on the, the camping opposite. trip. I like oh, the camping really? trip. I thought the whole yes. I thought beginning... so many decisions on the camping trip are just completely antithetical to what would actually happen in real life, and just like it's bad screenwriting after bad screenwriting. I didn't care that it made no sense. Everything before that was so boring to me. I was just excited mm. that something was happening, and so <laughs> yes. for me, I'm like, shoot people with arrows, blow them up with dynamite, like. And Throw I, a log yes. down hill. I don't oh, care. Oh, we Just will get to that. Something. But starting the scene off is my favorite cut in the movie because it is so very dumb. Where they are <laughs> filming the entire troupe on the path and they go by one by one singing Louie Louie. Uh, and then they do a quick pan behind them. And apparently, 10 feet behind them this entire time has been men dressed fully in three piece suits, one of which is holding a sniper rifle. And just. Nobody has noticed. Um, also, I think you mean Louis Luai. Whatever. <laughs> they are correct that if you just mumble along to that after the Louis Louis part, it'll work. You don't have to know the words. Yeah, I mean, that's true for a lot of 80s films. A lot of those rock ballads, not that Louis Luai is, uh, but a lot of rock ballads, you can just mumble the entire thing. As long as you get close to the syllable, it still sounds fine. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure most of them were not singing the words, and I don't. I'm wondering if that was actually in the script or if they just said, well, I don't know the words, so we're going to just hum along with it here. <laughs> just make some stuff up. I think it's another joke intended for the dads watching this film. Because that, again, is meaningless to a child. Oh, um, one of Ben's lines I actually really, really enjoyed uh, when Jack is trying to get Ben to help him build the teepee. He's trying to coax him in and Jack is still mad at him for not showing up for the canoe trip. 
uh, and he he's trying to joke with him, and he says something about like, can you imagine building a, a two-story teepee? And Ben's line, which I really love, was, "No, I couldn't." But that's a really funny concept. <laughs> it was just that is the best comeback to somebody trying to joke with you. So you mentioned earlier you did not enjoy the slapstick of Silent Thunder. So at this point, building no. the teepee. When they're no. purposely whacking each other in the head with big boards. Uh, I think as a team, he worked fine. My biggest fault with him was during the, the den meeting at the beginning. Just like, look at my sleeve, it's too short. I'll make it longer. Oh, I made the other sleeve too short. Now I'm going to go flip over this couch for no reason. It kind of reminded me of uh, some of Johnny Depp stuff in Betty and June. Just really random slapsticky stuff. I want to say that works f- to a much better degree, though. It does, because Johnny Depp's supposed to be real weird in that. Uh, but now we are getting to my least favorite part of this entire film, uh, which is Jack's story, where he does put on that racist Indian voice uh, and acknowledges that he stole it from a TV show, which was racist, but now it's fine, even though we're doing the same voice in a movie. His entire story is supposed to win Ben over, but what it boils down to is, don't be scared of me, kid, because I swear I won't leave, even though I screwed up already. Or, in short, forgive me, because I said so. And just, like, there's nothing of merit in what he is saying to Ben at this point. And it's supposed to win us over as well. And it's just like, you're just saying words. They mean nothing. This entire scene is pointless. I don't know that it's pointless. It gets it gets the audience to learn that Jack is still trying and Ben still hates him. That's about all you learn from that scene. The, didn't we learn that in the TPC? Well, I think that was him I, trying to make him laugh. I think this was more him actually trying to explain. Right. He did a terrible job of it. Yes. yes. <laughs> it was a weird recap, and it's not the first movie to have done this, where it's like, I'm going to tell the story, but it's totally just what's happening right now. It's it's just weird that it was like, I'm going to do this right. Like, this is going to be our campfire story for everyone. Yeah. It was just, for me, very awkward to watch because the other characters were seeing this. I thought the moral of that story was don't call 1-900 numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that was one of the things that they he said that Ben had done, right? Uh, yes. And we never see that on screen. Yeah, he, he that was one of the things is he said more things in that story that Ben had done. Because we only saw a couple things within the movie because of the time. But he says more things that Ben has done that make Ben seem like he'd be a crazier person. Hmm. Now, are we to believe that these things actually happen? I would Or is say he giving yes. exaggerated uh, examples for comedic effect? I feel like if you're going to do exaggerated examples for comedic effect... You don't put in the thing that you're then like, guys, children, do not look this up. Do not look this up, children. You're not supposed to know that. I think you avoid that one. Now, he did specifically say, you don't call 1-900 numbers without your parents' permission. So it's fine if your parents are on board with this. Yeah. But no, I, I believe those are things that Ben actually did. I'm pretty sure when I watch this movie as a child, I would not have known what a 1-900 number meant. No. I I would not either. I mean, I did spend a lot of time watching Nick at Night, so it's possible late night television <laughs> might have had one, like when their regular programming was over. But yeah, I would not have put the two together. I mean, they weren't just like terrible things. Some were just pay for them. Not all were like sex numbers. But yeah, a lot of them yeah. Were. <laughs> I imagine Mrs. Cleo was yeah, like a oh. oh, I forgot yeah. all about her. I don't. I wonder if there was even 
even exist any really anymore because of the internet. You can just do it. Skype uh, your psychic. I'm sure they do because they, they granted a large profit margin. Like the amount you're paying per minute is ridiculous. But let's finish off with uh, the, the gangster's plan and the, the retaliation of the kids. Um, so the trap that they set is, is bees, as previously bees. mentioned. Bees? Which, uh, <laughs> bees? Uh, which Jonathan Taylor Thomas is put in charge of for some reason. Like, he chops it down, and then he walks it over, where the adult is just standing there supervising. Uh, maybe I'm that's wondering one of if his this allergies. was one of the things that he was deathly allergic to or something. Yeah. It never really came up what he was allergic to. It just said he had allergies. I think, well, I guess he was allergic to the paint. Maybe he's allergic to bees. So what I loved is that the, the gangsters then follow the trail, leading them underneath bees. Uh, with their guns out, and then we get two of the most fakety-fake effects for this time period of Jonathan Taylor Thomas shooting the beehive and Chevy Chase throwing a hatchet, which cuts it down, making it crash on the gangsters. The bee fall was pretty good The bee fall was great. That axe throw, oh my god. So, and I'm not sure what was the point of shooting it in the first place. I think chopping it, it off and having anger it... the bees. Yes. Right, but having them fall to the yes. ground wouldn't have angered them I mean, them crashing also. the beehive would also anger them. He's just trying to get his kid involved, Mark. Yeah, he's gotta prove he's still got those bow and arrow skills. But it's weird that as loud as those bees were, because there's a lot of bees, they don't hear the bees until suddenly they look up and go, oh, there's bees. Oh. Then they can hear the bees? bees they can only hear the bees when they see them but you know what bees don't stop bullets these men are holding guns they should have fired randomly and possibly the zinged the kid or somebody or shot the bees <laughs> yeah that would be easy <laughs> the gangster's plan because the guy with the sniper rifle comes back and threatens them with it even though a sniper rifle is a long-range weapon uh and coaxes them into a mine which they're going to blow up with dynamite because apparently they got their ideas from cartoons i have several problems with this <laughs> uh let's see first of all Presumably the gangsters have never been up here before, because they're never going fishing. So I have to believe they came up here just expecting there was a mine that they could use for this purpose. Maybe they just always have dynamite. Maybe they just happened to find the mine there and the dynamite was left over from when it actually was a mine? You don't carry but... dynamite with you everywhere? <laughs> well, I mean, of course I do, but... Now, I mean, again, mafia, the entire uh... idea is that they have to kill them, make it look like an accident. Yes. Does a mine collapsing via dynamite look like an accident? I think the point was it would look like the mine collapsed on its own without the dynamite. I don't know how that would work, but I think that they was the point. They would dig out just enough to get grab the pieces of dynamite and then run away. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there wasn't for the dynamite, I would totally believe the mine collapse thing, because I would totally go check out an abandoned mine. Yeah, yep. I might be. I, I am on board with that. The dynamite just took me out of the film so much because it is a cartoon conveyance. Like that is nothing you see in film. It'd be as if they they had a giant Batman bomb placed in that cave. <laughs> Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but when they're setting up the dynamite, Fatty Magoo is smoking a cigar the entire time right next to this live dynamite. And then the, the whole conveyance of we're going to put out a really long fuse and then wait as it slowly burns. It's like it's taken right out of episodes of like the Lone Ranger. At that point, you could just you could pull the fuse out 
and then it's not a problem anymore. Then they still have a gun to shoot you with, it's so true. it wouldn't really help you. Right, but they wait for their friend to come back, and everyone has developed perfect aim in the time <laughs> they've been away. Because they shoot the fuse, and then they all shoot the guy uh, so that he is held up by points of his own clothing. I, I have to believe that they're either perfect shots, or they're terrible shots, and they were all aiming for that guy's heart. <laughs> Did you actually take the time to research all the gangsters' names, or did you just make up his name? Oh, I made up his name. Oh, man. <laughs> I was really hoping. That would have been an awesome name for a gangster. No, I still live from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Fatty oh, Magoo man. is one of their characters. So someone's named Joey, right? The son's name is Possibly? Joey? Possibly? Possibly. Because there's yes. the son and two goons, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think the son is named Joey. <laughs> Maybe Joey Jr. Maybe they're all named Joey. Maybe. Everyone is named Joey. Every Italian man is named Joey according to this movie. Or according to Sarah. <laughs> to be fair, my cousin's husband who is Italian is named Joey. So maybe that's my problem. Uh, so we talked about everyone in the group except for Silver Fox, played by Babe Ruth from The Sandlot. How did you guys feel about his character? Did you find him more annoying than Silent Thunder? Yes. That's all. Yes. <laughs> just, just, yes. <laughs> he was he was just there to rain on everyone's parade. Yay. Yes. I mean, he is anal retentive at, as you can be as a character. I did like at the end where he was arresting them on the authority of being an employee of the DMV because he is a government <laughs> official. It's just, I, the character is interesting because it kind of pokes fun at the DMV then about all their rules and regulations. But that's about all you can get from him. And again, as a kid, you probably wouldn't have even seen that side of it. So His name is Joey Renda. And the Who? goons are named Murray and Tony. Okay, is Tony Fatty Magoo? I, I think so. <laughs> Tony is definitely an Italian gangster name. I mean, yeah, in yeah. every movie you see. <laughs> Murray, not quite so much. That's a new one. They were very creative with that one. I'd also like to point out my other trivia. Um, the guy who played Leonard Redcrow is an actual chief. Hmm. Um, and Jack's boss is named Bob Younger. <laughs> played by Ron Canada. <laughs> who was not born in Canada. This is less trivia and more just facts. Random facts with Sarah. I mean, they are fun names. I don't know if we can draw any conclusions from these. Um, but Chief <laughs> Leonard George is the chief of the Burrard Indian Band. I wonder if he consulted on the film as well. I mean, a lot of their things that they did did seem very authentic. And also, apparently, his father might have also been an actor. Hmm. And also a chief. Oh, hey, did our friend What's-His-Name-The-Bear get into this movie? What's-His-Name-The-Bear? Uh, no, I don't believe he did. I just remember that, what, what was it, Homeward Bound, we decided that yes. one bear has been in more movies than some actors. It's true. Yes, it's very true. Uh, the one I can pick out is The Great Outdoors. Yes. Uh, so, I have to mention that uh, I did think it was a heart at the end that they made, which I think would be a greater symbolism of the family's love, but a circle works just as well. You know, they've come full circle. They they all but said that out loud. Also, it's probably a lot easier to make than a heart. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I mean, when a heart is half done, you kind of know where it's going. The last notes I have are at the wedding, uh, George Wentz's wife seems to hate him. All of the wives. Well, yeah. I don't know if, if, if Silent 
Thunder, Thunder had a wife, but the blonde on the other side of his kid was certainly glaring at him. Oh, yeah. Another reason I hated him is his little antics at the wedding. I would punch him in the face because all he has to do is get to the end of the aisle to sit with his family. And he is like jumping over people, rolling down, sitting on the wrong seat with somebody in it. It was obviously faked of, I yes. mean, nobody would have to step like that to get down an aisle. But in a movie where most of the characters at least have some counterpart in real life like he was just completely out there like if he was a real person i would despise him yeah oh and my final note jonathan taylor thomas in a tux is adorable carl's man crush i will say farrah fawcett's dress is the like most ridiculous thing i've seen outside of soap opera I'm pretty sure I had that same dress for my Barbies with its big bubble arms. I remember thinking it, I don't remember what it looked like now, but I remember thinking it was really strange as a wedding dress. She she looks like Glinda the Good Witch. <laughs> All right, let's move on to games. So first game, as we always do, is the pitch movie. So describe this movie to me uh, in terms of other movies, as if you were giving an elevator pitch uh, to somebody you're trying to sell this movie to. So what do you guys have for this? What is Jungle to Jungle in terms of other movies? No. Jungle to Jungle. What? What? I made a mistake. That's another father-son movie. What is Man of the House? I wonder what Carl's movie movie is going to be for this. (laughs) He's not picking. I am. Okay, go. Um, I had The Godfather Meets the Parent Trap. <laughs> well, not surprisingly, I had Jungle to Jungle Meets National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh. <laughs> My other one I had was Home Alone Meets Family Counseling. <laughs> oh, you jerks. Why did you go first? You just stole all of mine. Did you um, have I, I did have I did have the National Lampoon's Vacation, but I had that paired with Home Alone. So now you both stole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and we high put five. Together, we formed one movie. Yes. yes. All right. I have two more. One, uh, Fletch meets Indian in the cupboard, and because it was a rare example of a good stepfather, the Santa Claus meets Dances with Wolves. <laughs> uh. Okay. Yeah. Dances with wolves. Oh, let me pull something up. So our second game is alternate tagline. So something that encapsulates the theme of the movie while still being technically correct. Uh, I think the actual tagline for this film, which only makes sense if you see the poster for this film, uh, is that Jack wants to marry Ben's mother, only there are strings attached. Now, this only makes sense because on the poster, Chevy Chase is like a small marionette with mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas controlling him. Something that never happens in the film whatsoever. Oh, and I remember that poster, though. It just, it doesn't even make sense within the theme of the film. So let's see if we can do better, guys. Um, I had Man of the House. Mob murder fun for the whole family. <laughs> Mark, go ahead. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your Indian guide's name. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. 
Uh, Man of the house. Even the sound effects are racist. (laughs) I don't remember the sound effects much. Anywho, the other one I have is Man of the House, A Beginner's Guide to Terrible Parenting. That's also very good because he read a lot of books about parenting, according to him in the movie. Yeah, and every adult makes terrible choices. Uh, Chet Chet was the one that talked him into making good choices. Just saying. (laughs) All right, let's finish it off with our final game, TV Guide Game. So give me the plot to this film in a short description, which is, again, technically accurate, but misses the point of the film. Mark, you want to go first? Farrah Fawcett's newest boyfriend enlists a Native American to help overcome her son's Oedipus complex. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I went in a very different direction. (laughs) I had best friend can't understand uh, young man's new hippie lifestyle. (laughs) A man fails to avenge his father and learns lawyers always win in the end. (laughs) I've got one more. A family finally finishes a seven-year art project made of nature's garbage. (laughs) Was it really seven years? I I took a guess. Uh, He's 11 in the film, so young him might have been... I, I guess he was four. He might have been five or six. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's a good one, too. Thank you. I do try so very hard. Uh, so, before we move on to the next movie, uh, we have found something very special for this episode. Uh, so, in their first meeting, everyone gives each other animal names that they will be known in the tribe. Um, so... What I was thinking we could do is that we'd make animes for each other, giving each of us two, and then we decide which one we like best. So, let's start with Mark. What did you come up with for Mark, Start with Sarah? me giving names or come up no. with you giving me We are name. going to give you your name. You will decide oh, amongst it. I had Strong Elephant. Ooh. Yeah. I had Reclusive Grouse. I tried to be nice with mine. <laughs> Elephants just seem quiet and dignified, and they can lift heavy objects, according to the newest Jungle Book. <laughs> well, I went with, uh, well, something more insulting. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, but, Mark, you are introverted. You, uh, it's you true. appreciate your solitude. Also, grouse, in addition to being a bird... Also means uh, to complain or a complaint, <laughs> which you also like to do. Well, I have to say that yours is more accurate. Oh, good. Thank you, everyone, for your opinions. Nothing is wrong with that. It's just things that you do. I well, apparently you two both agree on that one, and it doesn't. No, really no, bother no. Me if you like much, Sarah's so. better, go with Sarah's. No, no. I don't. You get to decide. I, yeah. I. I. Well, it doesn't matter to me, but I do like them both. Um, and as Sarah said, I think yours actually describes me a little better. <laughs> so I guess I will have to go with the second one. All right, Mark, you will heretofore for the rest of the podcast be known as Reclusive Grouse. <laughs> the rest of the podcast forever or just this oh, one? Oh, no, this episode. We will never remember that. I will not remember this by the next time we record. I sh- you have it written down somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it'll fade into memory. All right. Why don't we end with Sarah? So, 
Why don't you guys give me what you came up with? I had playful sloth. <laughs> I think it covers both aspects of your personality, which is full of energy and life and, and very social. And the other half of the time, you were just completely asleep. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. have a sleeping disorder, so yes, accurate. Definitely agree. Mark, what you got? Mine is definitely more of an inside joke, <laughs> which um, some of the listeners may may know about. But I'm I call mine was shirtless monkey. <laughs> Theater has not been kind to you, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, we had a costume designer who liked seeing me shirtless. It wasn't ever my choice. Let us hope she is not going to become a fan of this podcast. <laughs> Fingers crossed. All right. So between the two, let's see. I do like shirtless monkey. I was hoping you both got monkey because that is my spirit animal. Well, my original one for you was jumping monkey. Mm, yes. But I thought I of that too. It. But I do also like the dual nature. So I'm going to have to go yes. playful sloth. Yeah. I do like that. All right. So for Sarah, I have bookish fox. Ooh, I like foxes. And what is the reasoning behind that? Uh, well, bookish just means yes. wordly, you know, likes to read. <laughs> and fox, because, you know, she likes foxes. Uh, oh, actually, I have foxes are cute, fierce, and befriender of hounds. That's all things of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much you. So, again, I stuck uh, to more inside things about our theater friendships. Am I going to be a bird? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was songbird without a tail. Aww. That is a very specific reference. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Read Dr. Seuss, don't do drugs. It is a very specific reference, which I'm again. Some of the listeners will probably understand, depending Maybe. on how big the audience gets. I don't know. Fingers crossed. I'm. I, I like Carl's. I like yes. being a fox. Bookish I fox. I do not disagree. Foxes are great. Yeah. I also had for you electric mouse, but I said yes. to go bookish fox instead. Just just wait till we get to Pokemon episodes of this show. <laughs> oh God. I will. I will it, break out my impressions. It will never end. Unless we do, we could do the Pokemon movie where yeah, they find like, the abomination of Mew. I didn't know we were ever going to do Pokemon episodes of this. Of yeah, course we, we may. are. We'll eventually Is that get going to, to be it. our next episode? No. Well, let's find out. We have to do rating out. system. <laughs> oh, right. Before we do that, let's do ratings because I totally remembered that's a thing we do on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I totally didn't, but okay. Um, so potatoes. Oh yeah, I'm just going to introduce it. This is our potato scale, where we tried to describe the emotional state of this movie in terms of our relationship with potatoes. So go ahead. What do you have for this potato? I have for this potato. This potato. Um, <laughs> I have eyed potato because it did not age well for me. I remember liking this a whole lot more as a child, but I also had it as hash browns, which is you can't finish all at one at a time, <laughs> which it took me three watchings to get through this whole movie. <laughs> Oops. I just kept stopping and not watching it again. Not caring enough to pick it up again? Pretty much. 
so I guess mine was along those lines. I remember liking this a lot as a kid and rewatching it now, I think as with a lot of the movies we are watching for this podcast, that I have a certain nostalgia for it, so while I'm watching, I think I like it more than I do. And then <laughs> then when I get deeper into it and start thinking through it, I don't like it as much. So mine was kind of... Uh, I had a mix of potato skins and tater tots. So the tater tots ratings for for our listener means it's just for kids because as a child, I enjoyed it more. And as we discussed today, there are a lot of things that may not be for children, but I I don't remember ever hearing those things when I watched it as a kid. Um, But potato skins, which I don't know if we've mentioned on any of the podcasts so far. Uh, I listed it for Land Before Time. Oh, did you? Okay. I did. Yeah, so it just, it has its moments, but... Overall, it's a little disappointing now as an adult. Yeah, so the idea of that is that there's just not enough there. Yes. So, uh, my ratings, as you may have guessed, were not prepared beforehand. Um, (laughs) And based on our definitions, I want to go sweet potatoes, but actually like sweet potatoes. Uh, So sweet potatoes means that it was... Well, I actually like potato skin, so... Yeah, sweet potatoes means it was not as expected. It looked one way and tasted another. And I think that's definitely true for me with this movie, where I expected to like it a lot more than I did. Uh, And also, potatoes with eyes, I think... This this is a film of a bygone era and not one I want to revisit. Yeah. This is not one I would choose to rewatch with anyone younger than myself. Mm-hmm. It's very, if you did not grow up in the 90s, yeah. this sort of movie, it's not going to make sense. I remember liking it as a kid, and that, like I was saying, it, it has that, for me... A little bit of nostalgia to it, but it's not something that I would put in my DVD library and watch over and over again. It's not even just the, like the politically correct stuff. It's just this sort of style of movie is so specifically 90s to me that like if you didn't watch it then, it's just, oh, yeah. everyone's going to be like, mom, dad, your movies were weird. There are more examples of that in things to come but i think other examples do it a lot better yeah and make a more complete story this just seemed like 90s thing after 90s thing without a good story interconnecting it or at least you know compelling enough to watch it was it was a lot of tropes thrown together and a lot of like movie stereotypes thrown in that just didn't always go together well all right, so that brings us to the other rating system we have is rewatchability scale. What would you give this on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 being never see this ever and 10 watch it daily or yearly as the case may be. <laughs> I gave it a 5 cuz I literally don't care about this movie. <laughs> I was so bored and so just not involved. I don't even dislike it. I just, I feel nothing for this movie, so it's right in the center for me. See, I think five is a bit too high. Um, So I mentioned I had a real problem with the cultural appropriation of this movie. And I get you guys didn't feel it as strongly as No, I just, that term to me is so overused that you sound like a Tumblr girl. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think we need to but, come up with another term. I think this one has aged out. But if anything, this is the definition of cultural appropriation, where they're taking things that they think are neat from another culture and just giving them to their children, like, hey, dress up as this thing, without explaining 
the culture that's behind it and what it meant to well, the people that you took it from. I mean, the problem is we can't really say that because they never really go into normal meetings enough. Like what they do. Because, I mean, when I was in Girl Scouts, if we did something like that, yeah, you'd have some sort of story or activity that taught you the things. Maybe it's just they didn't want to actually really show what went on in a Boy Scout-like meeting that they're like, we're not even going to deal with it. Those, like, history sort of background information stuff where we learn, like, about this the culture of the area or what sort of tree this. We're not going to deal with it. We have too much other stuff. That That is fair. I, I will not boast on being versed in any sort of Native American culture. Uh, to be fair, I'm basing this not on Native American stuff. I'm basing this on how Boy Scout, Girl Scout sort of troops normally works. There normally is some sort of education with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming this organization had it. They just you, never you show it. You would hope so. But and they, they do I could never be show wrong. It, it yeah. could just be a rec room in the basement. Right. And I don't think that a, a Native American would wear war paint at a party. Well, to be fair... No one really was except for him. <laughs> that is that is fair. Uh, but anyway, in addition to that stuff, I think, like you said, too many 90s tropes. I'm not a big fan of Chevy Chase to begin with, and I don't think this is a great performance by him. They they wasted Farrah Fawcett, though I did enjoy Jonathan Taylor Thomas's performance. Maybe the problem with this movie is not that the movie has aged badly. Maybe Chevy Chase has aged badly. It's possible. He's supposed to carry this film, and he tries. Maybe after the 80s, he was just, uh, no more Chevy Chase. So, because Jonathan Taylor Thomas... And, and his glorious the actual hair. Native American are the highlights of the film for this for me. I do see them as a shining light, and I will give this a three. What about mob guy fishing? Ah, uh, Fatty Magoo. <laughs> I did. Does like he get him. one of those Tony? points? <laughs> yes. One for JTT, one for the chief, and one for Fatty Magoo. I will keep it at a three for rewatchability. <laughs> I was considering a two. Give. Give each one of those three a point. There you go. So I I kind of have a soft spot for Chevy Chase. I don't necessarily like his acting right. so much. He's also supposed to be a kind of a horrible person. Uh, yes, that, it's that true. That is what I hear from, well. from a lot of the vacation movies, um, it, which have nothing to do with this one necessarily, because everything always goes wrong for him in those movies, and I always had the I feel bad for you kind of thing. I don't feel bad for Chevy and, Chase. And I, I think it also came from... Um, as a kid, him being the father of the family mm-hmm. always reminded me of my dad, who uh, hopefully my parents don't ever listen to this, but <laughs> he always was the one trying to have the perfect family parties at holidays and all this, and I always felt like there was something going wrong, so I kind of related to all those vacation movies. Having said that, that did not really, it, it was kind of the same character in this movie, and it didn't really work well in this setting. Um... So <laughs> I I think, again, I would probably go lower than a five also, but I probably still liked it better than Carl did, yep, apparently. So I would go with a four in this case. I just mainly gave it a five because I could not bring any form of emotion to myself to make and it lower. I think it's a wise choice recusing yourself, seeing as you didn't ever watch it in one sitting. I, I didn't. I, I had to take some break because, oh, Jeez, I found it so boring. <laughs> so incredibly boring. You could have just fast-forwarded until, like, the last 20 minutes at the, at the campsite. Uh, well, anyway, I think this episode is running long, so let's get to your next election for next time. can cut the next whole middle time. out. Yeah, probably. That, there's a lot of filth in there. Um. <laughs> anyway. Yes. So, 
How would you like to reveal it to us? We I have will a game give in you, mind. I will give you hints. Ooh. All right. Hint number one. Its connection to this one is it is another movie about that involves some sort of outdoorsy sponsored group. So a group of of <laughs> young children in an outdoor setting coming together in an organized fashion. Huh. Interesting. Uh, okay. Number two, it hold, is on Netflix. Hold on, hold on. All right, it's a, it is on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Little Giants. Do we know what? Do we know what this is? <laughs> wait, wait. Huh. So I'll just guess what I hope it is. Is this like Adam's Family? No. I wish though. <laughs> uh, but no, that's not the one I chose. Um, I will say it has a a very famous dead comedian in it as the main adult character. Uh, is oh wait, hold on. Um. God, what is this film? I, I have I, a guess I, in mind. Hold can, on. Can let I me... give you my last hint because I really like it? Yes. Well, come up with your, your name first before I give it because this yes. will probably give it away. All right. I want to say... Oh, oh, I think I have an idea. Uh, no, but... no, no, no. I will wait for you to go with your last hint. Is it Troop Beverly Hills? It is not, but I do like that movie. Um, my last hint, It is. it has a connection to the comedy movie Dodgeball. Oh! I think I know what it is. Mark, do you have a guess? Go. Heavyweights. It is heavyweights! Oh. I I did see that that was just on Netflix. I think it was just added, wasn't it? Yes, the film that taught us all, don't put Twinkies on your pizza. So, organized outdoors group, Summer Camp. Yeah. It has John Candy in it. Who's dead. And the connection to Dodgeball is, I swear, Ben Stiller's role in both is exactly the same. Oh, for sure. Uh, it's Tony Perkis in this one. I forget what his name is, Dodgeball. But yeah, yeah. it is him playing a villain in the only way he knows how. It, as, as a weird, athletic, obsessed guy, apparently. <laughs> oh, uh, also my... <laughs> My guess for Troop Beverly Hills was not great because <laughs> Shelley Long is still alive. Whoops! <laughs> Shelley Long was dead. I I may is Goldie Hawn still alive? Yes. Think, oh no! I well, I thought Goldie <laughs> Hawn was off. dead, and I thought she started this movie. Both of which were wrong. No, Goldie Hawn is still alive. <laughs> So, as with other things that we have done, I will tell you, this is one that I never saw as a kid. Oh, (laughs) Mark, I, this was a real good one for me. Uh, I think this may have been one of the first movies that I owned as my own movie, as opposed to belonging to the family. Uh, And because of that, I, I watched it a fair amount, like... So I don't, there may be some psychological thing, because as an overweight child growing up, maybe it was something that I was not actually interested in, but, no, that is, that is <laughs> but it may have its points. This is the ultimate so. underdog story. Like, yes. Yes. For the adults, for the kids, everyone but Ben Stiller gets a happy ending. Yeah. So basic story. Isn't that how every Ben Stiller movie works? No, sometimes he's the good guy. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, but it's it's a rare occurrence. Anyway, Mark, to fill you in, basic story of this. Kid uh, gets out of school, very excited for summer, comes home, learns that his parents are sending him away to fat camp for the entire summer. So, like, this is, like, the day he gets out of school, and so he is pissed. Um, oh, uh, his dad is played by the dad from Arrested Development, who I'm blanking on the name of. Uh, uh, oh... 
that guy. Yeah. Anywho, I know I, it'll I can picture it'll his come face. to me. So they're sending him away to fat his last cam. name starts with a T. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks that for the That T really helped. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> it was the only part I could remember. Shorts. Long story short. He's going away to fat camp, doesn't think he's going to enjoy it. He gets there, is there for like a week or so, and finds that he's making friends. Uh, it's a bunch of fat kids who love eating. It's not a skinny camp. It's a camp that really values these kids and makes tries to make them feel good. He has a mentor character in John Candy. Yes, who I believe is his counselor in the bunk. Uh, very, like, meatballs thing going on there. But uh, camp is apparently in debt and apparently Ben Stiller's parents have squandered all of their money they're in charge of the camp um and so the camp gets sold to Tony Perkis who is turning it into a fitness camp to get these campers into shape by being a crazy person yeah and so the entire goal is that they're going to beat the rich kid camp across the lake in a a decathlon at the end of the year and yes. so everything's leading up to that. Uh, and getting as rid you, of As you would imagine, things fall apart, and they are on their own to figure out how to survive the decathlon. But hey, wouldn't you know it, they won. And John Candy gets the girl. Oh, he does get yeah, the girl. Yeah, he gets the hot nurse. <sighs> is it John Candy? Oh, no, is it the skinny guy? No, no, the skinny guy doesn't get the girl. But I want to say it's not John Candy in the movie. Oh, it is John Candy, isn't it? No, it is Tom McGowan. Oh, it's not John Candy? It is not. Ah, uh, right. Why was I thinking it was John Candy? I get it. They're, they were around the same size at the time. Was John Candy already dead by this point? Possibly. <laughs> when did John Candy die? Can we cut all of this out? <laughs> no, this is... Are you really going to laugh Good about him radio. dying? I didn't know... What movies John Candy was in? You didn't know Goldie Hawn wasn't dead. So. That is on me. Yes. Anyway, why don't we close here? Uh, I am excited for this film. It was one of my childhood favorites. So, oh shoot, we have the segment that I also definitely remembered. <laughs> which is, guys, I learned something today. Uh, let me tell you a little moral I picked up from this film. Kids, don't call 1-900 numbers. Unless you have your parents' permission, then totally fine. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Retrograding. Join us next time when we revisit the childhood classic, Heavyweights. See you next time. Bye. saw it on the g i saw it on the letter uh, not the 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 sound effect goes here let's see